0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as we have seen all around us and sung and said and prayed, this is Advent, the season of the year uh, when the church remembers and celebrates that Jesus has come to us. Like we say in the Nicene Creed, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. This is also the time of the year that we remember and celebrate that he is coming again to finish his work of making everything new. Like we say again in the Nicene Creed, he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. And for this season of Advent, I want us to talk together about what I think is one of the greatest gifts of the Advent of Jesus for people like you and me. And that is the gift that we do not need to be afraid. So I'm going to read from Matthew's brief account of the birth of Jesus. I'll read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. You can follow along where it's printed in the word of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask, as we always do, that you would be happy... By your spirit to use this word that we've read and heard together that we're going to talk about and think about together to show us the word that bears our flesh, the word incarnate Christ, our elder brother who's seated with you praying for us right now show us him show us how much you love us in and through him and through his work and change us by it meet us wherever we find ourselves this morning Meet those of us who don't have faith and those of us who do. Meet those of us who feel far away from you for all kinds of reasons and those of us who feel close to you. Meet those of us who are here this morning and aren't even certain why we have come. Meet every one of us and show us the grace of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, Christina Cleveland is a professor at the Duke Divinity School, and in 2014 she wrote an essay on Advent. And in this essay, she says that people like us are being tricked. She says that we have been tricked by chocolate filled Advent calendars and blissful Christmas pageants into believing that Advent is something that it is not. And so this is what she writes. I want to read a little bit from her essay. She says, Advent isn't a holiday party. It doesn't pressure us to conjure up a hopeful face, ring bells, and dismiss the fallous realities we face. Advent isn't about our best world. It's about our worst world. I think we eat the chocolate and put on the pageants because we don't want to face the worst. And then she continues, Advent is an invitation to plunge into the deep, dark waters of our worst world. Knowing that when we resurface for air, we will encounter the hopeful, hovering spirit of God. For when we dive into the depths of our worst world, we reach a critical point at which our chocolate and pageants no longer satiate our longing for hope. And we are liberated by this realization. Indeed, the light of true hope is found in the midst of darkness. Professor Cleveland is, of course, explicitly echoing the Gospel of John and a lot of the songs and readings we have already taken, place, taken part of together this morning. This is precisely how John describes the advent of Jesus in the first chapter of his gospel in those famous words the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world well church as John puts it so poetically and so beautifully Matthew just shows us that this is true by telling us this stripped back unadorned bruiser of a story that we just read together. <laughs> I've sometimes wondered what a Christmas greeting card based on Matthew's story of Jesus' birth would really look like. If it was really trying to be faithful to Matthew. <laughs> and all I can picture is a card and on the front of it, it is just this p- picture of a messed up Joseph. Out in a, away from the village under a tree, his eyes red from crying, his face creased with worry, pale because he can't eat. And the caption underneath it says, my beloved is pregnant and I'm not the dad. Best wishes for the season. And church, that is the divine setup for the best punchline that any of us have ever or will ever hear. And that punchline is, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is the good news, church, that Jesus is always coming to people like you and me in bad situations where all of the possibilities are no good. Like he comes to Joseph, Jesus is always coming to people like us in places like this as we stare into the deep, dark waters of our worst world. And when Jesus comes to us, as he always does, he comes with power to save. So we do not need to be afraid. So here's how Matthew starts his story. He says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now the word that Matthew uses for birth is actually the word Genesis, and I think he's chosen that word carefully because it's freighted with meaning that we can't miss. Matthew's saying, hey, I'm telling a story about a new beginning. I'm telling a story about new creation. And it's interesting because Matthew doesn't seem really to be at all that much interested in the actual birth of Jesus. He just mentions it casually in a few words later at the end of the passage. Matthew is much more concerned with conveying the circumstances around Jesus' birth. What he's saying is this, when God chose to come and be with us, when God chose to start this new thing, this new Genesis, this is what it looked like when God came. And as I implied earlier, Matthew's story is not exactly the one that we're used to thinking of at Christmas time. There are no shepherds, no angel choirs, nobody is pondering anything in their hearts. There are no old couples having babies, no magnificats, no benedictions, no babies leaping for joy in anyone's wombs. There are no swaddling cloths. Matthew is another world from that. And in that world we start by hearing about Mary and Joseph who are betrothed. Now betrothal was a legal contract for a couple to be married at some point in the future under normal circumstances it would last about a year. And we know from Luke's gospel that when the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby the angel also told Mary that her relative Elizabeth was going to have a baby. In fact, Elizabeth's pregnancy would be the sign to Mary that everything the angel was saying was was actually true. And so Luke tells us Mary left with haste to go and be with her relative Elizabeth and she stayed there for a few months. Now, we don't know what Joseph knew before Mary cut out of Nazareth. We don't know if he knew anything at all. But when Mary gets back to her home, Nazareth in Galilee, something that had been hidden away for months now becomes very, very obvious. Mary was found to be with child. If Joseph did not know before she left, he definitely knows now. Because everybody knows. And everybody's talking about it. wasn't something that Mary was able to hide. No doubt at some point she told Joseph about her own visit with an angel and she told Joseph about Elizabeth's pregnancy and that that was a sign that this stuff was really true. No doubt she told him about this but how in the world could anyone believe that? (laughs) How could Joseph believe that? Come on Mary, We know how this thing works. You have been with another man. You're telling me about the power of the Most High overshadowing you. Come on, Mary, don't don't take his name in vain. There was only one rational, painful conclusion that Joseph could make, and that was that Mary had been unfaithful. So we we live in a world that's very different from the world that Mary and Joseph lived in. We're so far removed from first century peasant life that we really have no idea how incredibly difficult and how incredibly painful this would have been socially. First century Nazareth was a town of maybe a hundred people, fewer by far than are sitting in this room. All families, everyone who knew one another. Everyone who knew one another's business. It was a culture structured around honor and shame. And so this was a very public scandal. But of course, we're not so far removed from this emotionally that we don't know what it could have felt like. I mean, what would any of us do in a similar situation? <laughs> What kind of madness would swirl around in your mind? What kind of violence and shame and regret and anger and confusion and grief and sadness? And there were laws about this. The laws, both Jewish and Roman, were super clear. If anything like this happened during betrothal, you had to divorce. Legally, really the only question was what kind of divorce was it going to be? Would it be a public divorce in the courts where you could recover some of your financial losses and maybe some of your honor? Or would it be a private one? Just something private with two or three witnesses where you lose everything. Because no matter what, Joseph loses something. If he divorces her publicly, her life is ruined. A young, unwed mother would probably never be able to recover from this. Who knows what she would have to do to survive. But if he divorces her privately, he loses this substantial amount of his family's inheritance that he's paid in order to marry her. No matter what, apart from the legal questions, he loses honor, he loses reputation, and most of all, He loses Mary. As Professor Cleveland put it, these are the deep, dark waters of Joseph's world. All of the options are bad. None of them are what he really wants. And so I think it's worth stopping for just a second and asking a couple of questions. The first question is about God. Given that he could have chosen any way to come into this world to be with us, why in the world did God choose this way to come into the world? Why did he want to come into sadness and into confusion and into whispers and into a full-blown scandal? Why would he do that? What does that say about our God? What does that say about following a God like that? We'll come back to that. (laughs) But it's also worth asking what parts of our own lives feel this way. What difficult places do we find ourselves in with lots of bad options in front of us and maybe, if we're lucky, a couple so-so options? What places in our lives do we find ourselves with our backs against the wall and if we're being honest, we chose it? Or maybe it was chosen for us. What are the deep, dark waters that you and I are staring down? And are all the chocolates and all the pageants and any of the other things that people like you and I run to when we're afraid in order to distract ourselves or numb ourselves, are those things doing the trick? Of course they are not. So what is our hope in fear? Well, it's the same hope that Joseph has, which he will very shortly discover. But in the meantime, we're told Joseph is a just man. That means he wants to follow the law as best as he possibly can. But we also find that he is unwilling to put Mary to shame. So he resolved to divorce her quietly, privately. It is the best that he can do. He loses everything. But Mary escapes the full shame of a public divorce. And I don't mind telling you church, I think it's beautiful. I know Joseph, he he doesn't know the whole story yet. Of course he doesn't know the whole story, but with what he has in front of him, This is what he chooses to temper justice with compassion and mercy. He is willing to take the hit for something that he did not do. Man, that sounds familiar. It makes me think of something the Apostle Peter wrote. If you know the story of Peter's life, you know Peter knew a thing or two about being on the receiving end of grace and mercy like that. And he tells the church in his first letter to them, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. That's what Joseph's doing. He's choosing to love Mary earnestly, even though it costs him. He is taking the hit so that she can be spared as much as she can possibly be spared. (laughs) This is an important lesson, I think, to people like us in this particular place in life, in this particular culture, in this way of being that we find ourselves in in this easily outraged age? Our culture runs around with this big gun of self-righteousness. And that gun is not holstered. It is pointed at everyone and everything. And that gun has a hair trigger for sure. And in that environment, in that kind of climate, do you know what people who love earnestly look like? You know what people who are willing to take the hit for somebody else, to take the hit for something they didn't do, look like in that environment? People who love earnestly start to look like a beautiful city of refuge on a hill. They look like the coolest drink of water on the hottest day. They look like home. And church, that's what we were made for. That's who we are called to be. And Joseph, in a foreshadowing of his soon-to-be son, he shows us how. You can't help but hear an echo coming from just a few lines forward in the story. You, you will call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. He is going to take the hit for stuff he didn't do in order to save someone else. That is the meaning of Jesus' cross. (laughs) So one night in the midst of all of this, in the midst of this agony, in the midst of this profound dislocation, Joseph tries to go to sleep. He falls asleep and an angel comes and speaks to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And this is where we get let in on one of the most beautiful secrets in this story. We find out what Joseph really wanted, if he could have written the script. What he really wanted, what he desired so simply, so honestly, so obviously, was Mary. He just wanted Mary. He just wanted to have his wife just like they had planned Before all of this blew up, that's what he wanted. And the angel speaks directly into that fear. Don't be afraid. Do it, Joseph. Take her to be your wife. That's what he wanted, but how could he do that? How how could he even approach that? Wasn't the law clear? Wasn't the way in front of him pretty much already mapped out? And no, the angel's saying, no, no, it is not. And here's why. She's telling you the truth. (laughs) That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's true, Joseph. And on the one hand, this changes everything for him. Her fidelity means that he is willing to fight and honestly... That is exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be a 12-round, heavyweight, knockout fight until the day that he dies. We can't romanticize this. If he marries her, their life will be full of ostracism and, and whispers and shame. And so will the life of that unborn baby. Everyone will assume, if he marries her, that they were together before they were married. Or worse, that he knew the baby wasn't his and he didn't really care enough. No matter what, this scandalous origin, this troublesome genesis is going to follow them all of the days of their life. His reputation, Mary's reputation, the baby's reputation will always be under a shadow. They will be without honor in their own hometown. And in case you don't know how the story goes, it goes exactly like that. And there is not one piece of this story, church, there is not one twist in this story that was out of God's control. In fact, it is just the opposite. (laughs) He could have chosen any way to come. The nature of God's advent was up to God. (laughs) And what he chose to do was to humble himself and to be born under the sketchiest of circumstances. He knew his mother would be scorned. He knew his father would be mocked. He knew that he would walk through his entire life as an outsider, the one of dubious and scandalous birth, with no honor at all. Church, (laughs) this is how God chose to come among us. Like he wanted the most humbling, the most scandalous, the most difficult, the weakest, the, the most foolish way to come. And so we have to ask again, what does this say about our God? And what does it mean to follow a God like that? Well, here's what it says about our God. Matthew points to it when he says, you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God choosing to come this way means it really, really is God with us. Not God distant, with rules and laws laid down that he really, really hopes we'll be able to follow. No, God with us. Not God distant, given, given some great teaching that he hopes will be able to crystallize into some bullet points for healthy, good living. No. God with us, sweating and laughing and breathing and bleeding and living and being the, the butt of jokes and taking all the dirty looks. God with us. Not God distant, not God disconnected from our sin and weakness, not God unaware of the dark waves into which we often stare, but God with us. Church, with us, staring into the dark waves alongside us, shoulder to shoulder, and then walking into the dark waves in front of us. God is with us, and he knows so we don't need to be afraid. <laughs> and precisely because that's who our God is, those of us who follow him in faith can do that knowing that we have everything that we need to walk into the dark waters behind him. I mean, here's, here's what the angel <laughs> is asking Joseph to do. He's saying, Joseph, just walk into it. All of the whispers, all of the shame, all of the pain, just lay everything down, Joseph, and walk into it because he is with us. And, of course, this is our place in the story <laughs> Because Jesus has made it clear over and over and over again that to follow him is not to take the easy road. Sometimes it is the narrow road. It is the hard and difficult road that leads to a cross. And I don't have to tell you that because we live it every day. The hard and the narrow. We live it in our workplaces when we're faced with all kinds of choices. The choice to do what's right (laughs) or to do what's easy. In our workplaces where we are always tempted, in fact, sometimes encouraged to establish ourselves and our reputation at the expense of others, or to pretend to be okay with things that we're not okay with. We live this hard and narrow way in our relationships in which we are often tempted to be the one who is always right, the one who always wins, the one who is always in control instead of taking the hit for the other and seeking the other's good, even if it makes us look like a sucker. We live in the hard and the narrow and the difficult places when we're faced with suffering or pain or loneliness in our lives and all we want to do is just figure out more and more ways to run away from it or to sate it or to just be numb from it. And church, here is the good news. This is the thing that we're being told again this morning. We are not alone in those situations. We are not alone in the hard and narrow way. We are walking behind the one who goes in front of us. Jesus is always coming to people like us in places like that, in the hard and narrow places with a ton of bad options in front of us. He is always coming into these dark waters with us and in church he knows those places like the back of his hand because he's with us and because he is with us we have all that we need to live faithfully and without fear this is what joseph does he wakes up from sleep and he did as the angel told him to do he took mary to be his wife and when the baby was born he called his name jesus yahweh Saves. God saves. Emmanuel, God is with us. And because that's true, and it is true, we have everything that we need to live faithfully and without fear. Let me pray for us. Father, as always, we ask that you would help us to believe. <laughs> Help us to believe that this is true, to open up our hands and cling to the one who walks into the darkness in front of us. Father, help us to follow him without fear into the life that we have been called to live in this world. Help us to believe for our good, for our healing, for our restoration. And through us, by the power of your spirit, for the good and healing and restoration of the broken world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.